Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. Today, I'm not going to belabor the whole zombie thing anymore. I'll do it maybe at the end. We have a couple more installments of this series to preach. But the intent of it is to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to be walking dead? We had this verse that we started the whole series with. The Bible teaches us that we were once dead. It is true. We were dead in our transgressions and our sins. Transgressions is a big fancy word to just say offenses. If you've offended someone, if someone's been mad at you, if you've done someone wrong, you have a transgression. A sin is when you do it to God. So whether you're doing it to man or to God, you were dead one time. And many of us have given our lives over to Christ. Many of us today know the Lord as their personal Savior. And we say, yes, we're alive. We are spiritually alive. We are reborn, the Bible says. The question I'm asking is at that point, you start coming to church. You start going to ministry. You start going to prayer time. You come up to the altar. Allow me to pray for you. You come up onto the worship team. You sing songs. You go into these classrooms after church, before church, during church. You help out in the infant nursery or one of these rooms. You come down and sit on the pew every week for the last couple of years. Is it possible that at some point, from the time the Lord reborn you to the time that you are sitting here today, You have somehow become walking dead. This is my concern. So I'll start with this. This verse comes out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It's on the board right there. How many people have actually read Ephesians chapter 2 this week? Anybody? We got only one more, two more, three. Church, it's not that hard. Read Ephesians chapter 2. Please, the Lord is literally asking you to read Ephesians chapter. Could it be any more clear? It's it's as clear as it could be. Let's just see if we can do it. It is the entire premise of this series. If you're confused at what I'm trying to do, if you're confused at what the Lord is trying to say, it's about 28 verses in Ephesians chapter 2. It's very clear. Some of your favorite verses are in there, by the way. Today, yes, the focus is on the dead, but the question I want to ask is what makes you alive. We've been asking this question the last couple of weeks. We've talked about what makes a human being alive, what makes plants alive, insects alive, are zombies walking dead, are they undead, are they alive? We've sort of talked through those kind of things. And we have arrived at the discussion that it is scientific of the seven characteristics that define a living being. And we went to scripture and we were Examining all seven characteristics as they apply to God's word. Amen? Who says God's word's not scientific? Who said God's word's not philosophical? Do you know the number pi was discovered in the Bible? Before we actually figured out what the number was. We went back and realized, wow, they had figured it out way back then before they even had a calculator. I can't get into that right now. What makes you alive? What makes you alive? There are seven characteristics that make you alive. We've been talking about these last couple weeks. I put some on the board. Well, you need to be able to eat. If you can't eat, if you can't put energy and nutrients into your body, you're not alive. B, you need to breathe. You need to be able to respire, bring in um, 
energy to allow you to convert what you have already have in your body into energy. So you need to be able to eat, you need to be able to breathe, and you need to be able to move. That's what we talked about last week. If you're sedentary, if you don't move, you're not alive by definition. You need to eat, you need to breathe, you need to move. These are three things that you need to do to be alive. Today, today we're going to talk about a little more precarious of a characteristic. We're going to talk about one that's a little more personal. It's a little more uncomfortable. It's a little more hmm, stinky. The fourth characteristic that we're going to talk about today is you got to go. You know what I'm talking about? You got to go. What I'm talking about is it is the fourth characteristic of being alive. You need to be able to remove waste from your system. Waste will inherently get in. The good things you take in will also come at times with bad things. You need to be able to remove those. Our human body has produced a number of ways to remove waste. The most common is the bowel movement. Today, literally, I'm going to talk about a spiritual bowel movement. I'm going to talk about what it takes to remove waste from your spiritual walk, from your spiritual life. Look, we have to talk about it. It is literally a condition of being alive. And if a church is to be a living church, if the church is alive, it needs to eat. It needs to breathe. It needs to move. And I got news for you. The church needs to have a bowel movement. I've already talked about two different inputs, oxygen and food. Now we're talking about the two outputs, movement and self-cleaning. Now look, I put this up here to remind us, this is usually where it happens, one way or another. It's a cute picture of a little kid to add some levity to this, but as individuals, as people, as families, in our home life, and as a church, it is imperative that we get the sin out of our lives. You see, much like this picture and experience you have every day, something gets up in us, and then it starts to make its way through. If it ain't good, it starts to make you feel unwell, makes you feel sick. And it must come out, or literally, it will slowly kill you from the inside out. I suffer from a gluten allergy, Crohn's disease, IBS. People are familiar with all these different types of things that we call what takes place in our gut. And any of you who've experienced that know it is painful. Everyday foods can make you a mess. And it's such a relief when you get gluten in your body. Once it's out, I feel like a completely different person. Much like sin, if it lingers in there, if it hangs up in there, it's going to make a mess of your insides. And by the way, because your body's alive, because your spirit is alive, and because the church is alive, if you get something nasty in there, it's going to come out one way or the other. How is the most natural way for it to come out? How does God prescribe the tidy way for us to cleanse ourselves from the sin in our lives, from the sin maybe in our church? As a church, we need to be a house of confession. The Bible says it very plainly. It's 1 John 1, 19. Many of you know this. But if we confess our sins to him, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, emphasis on cleanse, from all wickedness. Sorry. Thank you, brother. It's one nine, my fat fingers. You see, I tell you, in church today, I don't know what it is. Have we lost sight of this verse? Have we lost sight with the process? Look, everyone knows when I got to go to the bathroom, I go into the bathroom, I shut the door, I make sure there's toilet paper, and I go to the bathroom. It's a process. You figure it out every single time. You don't mess that up. But in church, somehow we've forgotten how it works. Do we need to take a page out of the Roman Catholic faith? You know, we may say, oh, they're ritualistic. They have this, they have that. But look, they make a big deal. Confession is a sacrament. Confession is something that they do regularly. In fact, if you meet with another Catholic and they're struggling with something, it's, it's okay for you to say, it's natural for you to say, when was your last confession? When have you said that to someone in church? Do we say that? When you go greet someone, God is good, when's your last confession? No, you see, because in charismatic churches, we got in our minds, sin is so bad, once we become a Christian, don't talk about sin. We don't talk about sin. Definitely there's no sin on me. There's no stank on me. There's no sin around me. There's no sin in me. I'm not going to talk about confession. Or we somehow think the only way to confess is to come up and confess to Pastor Sean. Maybe in his office or on the phone or through text message. All the above happens. But this verse makes it very clear. If we confess our sins to who? To Jesus. To him. To God. He is the one who wants to hear your sin. I really don't want to hear it. But if it makes you feel better, if I can counsel you through it, I am all ears is part of my job. When you come up to pray, if we had time, honestly, I should be asking each one of you, do you have anything to confess? And it's very interesting. You know, I want to share one secret of the altar here for you guys, and then I'm going to move on. But almost all the time, when the Christians come up to pray, they want to tell me what God needs to do for them instantly. And so that's what we pray about. When a non-Christian comes up to the altar, immediately, without me saying anything, they already know what to do. They start telling me everything they did wrong. How can the non-Christian have it figured out so well and the Christian be so confused? Confess your sins to him. We need to be setting the example for the sinner. We need to show them how to confess and when to confess. You see, we can confess, and this verse teaches us that we'll be forgiven it's pretty simple. Is it embarrassing? Yeah, maybe for a moment. But then we're liberated for all eternity. The alternative? Well, you hide it. You store it. You build it up inside of you. It becomes a ball of waste. And that waste has got to come out one way or the other. The Bible calls it an exposing... You know, in the Lord's Prayer... In our prayer room, the Lord's Prayer is there. And in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, Lord, our, our sin. Forgive us our sin. Why? As we forgive those who sinned against us. Do you see? you got something to talk to God about every day. And if you don't, guess what happens? I'm just here to tell you the truth. I know this isn't the, the fun-loving, interesting message that I usually give. This is, this is a little more hard-hitting. I'm trying to where Pastor Chris is. He, he says my messages need to get a little more uncomfortable. He wants my message to get a little more uncomfortable. So I'm going I'm to get you uncomfortable for a second here. You may be sure that your sin will find you out. You may be sure your sin will find you out. 
It's not Pastor Sean talking. See, this is the way it works because sin is something inside. It's toxic and it needs to come out. And because we're alive, it's going to happen. Here's an image for you, just to put this image in your mind. You know, when we, when we put sin inside and we hide it, we wonder what's going to happen to it. We hide it long enough, we think no one will know. That's not true. I envision it with this whole potty discussion we're having as a little kid. You're a little kid, right? They, they go and drink their water, and they're fine, but then they get a hold of that Kool-Aid or the soda and they, or the iced tea or whatever's got the sugar or maybe a little caffeine in it, and all of a sudden it's running through their system. And what do you start seeing? Right? What's, what's wrong with you? You got to go to the bathroom? Nah, I'm good. Good. Okay, a couple more minutes go by. It's, something's wrong with you. I don't know what's wrong. If you wait much longer, oh, I really gotta go. I mean, it's coming out. It's coming out. What? They think they're hiding it. They aren't doing a very good job. I can see it on their face. I can see it with every fiber of their being. It's coming out of their system. Sin is the same way. You could try every method. You could try every technique. You can hide it any way you want. You certainly aren't hiding anything from God. Maybe eventually you figured out how to hide it from people, but this verse makes it very clear. God is in the business of exposing sin. By the way, this verse, just to be clear, I'm not just talking about the sinner. Most of you today were sinners, and now you consider yourself children of God. What I'm referring to today, the whole point of this series, is to refer to the Christian the child of God, the one who has been forgiven of sin, tries to live a life for God, but chooses to allow sin back into their system. Church is a crazy place. Church is a place where I absolutely expect sin to be in here. I have to expect sin because we expect sinners to come through those doors. That's the whole point of a church. Somebody really famous, Abigail Van Buren, she, she said this. A church is a hospital for the sinners, not a museum for the saints. We need to be a place where sinners are welcome to the church, where we expect sin to walk through the door. We expect that the sin won't linger here for very long because if we're a hospital for sinners, we'll be leading people to Christ. And we require that sin is not actually happening in the church. In fact, we must set an example. We must show them a better way. We must set the example. If we fall short, how do we confess? If they come through the door and we are no different than them, then what are we doing here? Setting this place up so we can look good? Talk about our history, our past, and how we look good back then? We don't have to teach them how to sin. The world does a great job of that. We need to teach them how not to sin. And we can't certainly not teach them how to hide sin because that is a one-way street to a dead church. Amen. And before you get hung up on this whole museum for saints thing and start thinking to yourself, oh, museum means older artifacts and things that have age and things that need to be admired. And you may say, oh, there's some people who've been in church a long time and they think church is just so that they can show off how good they are. 
This verse or this quote was recently modified, and I think this does a good job of telling you where I think about it now. A church is not a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. In other words, we can't turn this place into uh, this really comfortable, cushy place where everybody comes and hangs out and feels like our job is to meet your needs. Let me wait on you. Do you need a towel? Can I wash your hands? Can I get you some food? There's a difference between serving our community, helping our sinners, nursing the hurt, and waiting on the saints. Are you following, church? Where is this in Scripture? What are you talking about? Can you share some, some verses with me? I'm going to share with you. Acts chapter 5, this is the story for today. I'm going to read it. You can open your Bibles if, if you have it. Um, I encourage you to do that. You need to get familiar with opening a Bible or your Bible app. Acts chapter 5. This is a story that happened in the Bible after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels. That's the story of Jesus. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus was buried. Jesus resurrected from the tomb. Jesus ascended into heaven. And the early church got busy. The disciples got together, started a church. You guys know about Pentecost. 50 days later, the Holy Spirit came down, started moving in this church. Signs and wonders started happening. The church was growing daily. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000. The church was also hated, was persecuted. The Romans and the Greeks were coming to try to kill them. And when the church started, they were lacking some things. They needed a roof, maybe. And so they asked the people, will you help us meet the need? And people said, we believe so strongly in this. We're going to sell our businesses. We're going to sell our cars. We're going to sell our homes. And we're going to put money into this movement. And then we have chapter 5 of Acts. Verse 1, but there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his, wife, with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. Now the property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away or not. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't just lying to us, but you were lying to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Verse 6, then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. Verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter then asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside that door. And they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. 
Great fear, verse 11 says. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who had heard what had happened. Heavenly Father, Lord God, allow the scriptures to be like a two-edged sword. Allow it to say much more than I could ever say. And Father God, allow your spirit to speak truth to everyone who has ears to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. God is good. And all the time. Really? Is he good? These two people just got whacked by God. Literally. Look, this is really important. I need to share this with you in order for you to get the premise of this message today. The church back then, it was the first church, the beginning. It was, it was a church the Bible calls over and over again in one heart, one mind, and one accord. That means these people were part of the church. Everyone was basically a leader in the church. Everyone was, had a role in the church. Ananias and Sapphira were part of it as well. They were in one heart. They were in one mind. They were in one accord. They were there with everyone else. They had a real, authentic experience with the Holy Spirit. They loved God. They wanted to serve God. But Satan filled their heart. You see, these were Christians like you and me. We are not immune to Satan tempting us. We are not immune to Satan coming in and trying to ruin our lives. In fact, we're his target group. Back then, Satan attacked this first church. He found Ananias and Sapphira. You know, Satan is defeated, yes, but he continues to cause us to stumble. His intent is to destroy our testimony. It wasn't just that they lied. It wasn't even that they kept the money. It was their money. They could do whatever they want with. But the way they lied, the way they manipulated the situation, caused everyone else to see them not as a Christian, but as a manipulating deviant. What happened was their testimony was here, and now their testimony went to here. This God cannot stand. This is when sin has done its worst. Again, we expect sinners to sin. It's what they do. But Christians, Christians cannot build agendas and manipulation on top of it for their own cause. I'm fascinated by this, right? Because when we think of the Bible, we think of the Old Testament. And in Bible school, you're taught, right? Old Testament is it's God's law. It's his wrath. It's his judgment. The thunderbolts come down from heaven. The fire comes down on the altar. The rivers split open. People walk in it, and the enemies are crushed when the waters come down. Right? This is you know, the Israelites when they killed each other with the swords, and God wipes out entire people groups. That's the Old Testament. And we think about that. We love to say to ourselves, that's the old God. Yeah, that's old God. That's the old God. I serve the new God. I serve the New Testament. In the New Testament, he's loving Grace and mercy abound forever. I'm not being facetious. I'm merely saying that we think that God is so loving and caring and merciful and that somehow he can put up with sin. Somehow he can just forget the Old Testament. This happened in the New Testament. God put these people to death in the first church just like ours, made them fall over. Why? Because they had their own agenda for church. Church was just there to bless them. 
manipulate, abuse. This is what was going through their mind, and God was not going to have it. The church needed a bowel movement, and God was sure to give it. Do you think God has changed? He's the same God in the Old Testament as he is in the New. The Word of God says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What do you think's happening today? All we've done is gotten real good at allowing sin to hang around, linger. And so this message today, the, the title of this message, the point of this message, and it's funny, I do it right in the middle. That way, I see who's paying attention. If I say at the beginning, you may just zone out, but now, now you're focused. The title of this message is called The Spiritual Cleanse. The Spiritual Cleanse. This is so fundamental for us to be a living church and not a dead one. And before we get twisted, this is not just about sin here. There are some of you that are struggling with sin. There are some of you who have sin in your life. There are some of you who are sins around you. There are some of you who are hiding sin today. How do I know that? Because I used to do it. Yeah, hold oh, the pastor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a human being, just like Ananias and Sapphira. I struggle with this world the same way you do. I'm American, and it is very hard to be a godly man in America. I know all the tricks. I've been down those roads. So I know there are people here today. But I also know that there are some pretty wise and seasoned Christians among us who have dedicated their lives and, and no longer toy with sin. I know that. And so you may say, if you're one of those people, what am I going to get out of this message? Well, you're going to teach somebody else how to have a spiritual cleanse. But not just that. You see, it's very obvious to me about this whole bowel movement process. When we eat, we eat good food. Even vegans and pescatarians and vegetarians, they eat all this good stuff. They still have bowel movements, by the way. My point is, when we eat good, there's still waste that accumulates. It needs to go. Even with the good comes in some bad. It needs to get its way out. Same way with church. Same way with our spiritual lives. We have waste. And so I encourage you as we go through this, I encourage you, if you're one of those who aren't sitting today, say, where is your spiritual waste today? What relationships? Yeah? Yeah? What relationships that you are involved in? What relationships are unhealthy? perhaps damaging. If it's not relationships, it's probably activities. What activities are you involved in that may tempt you? And you may say, I'm strong. I can handle it. I'm a, I'm a seasoned Christian. I can do that. I can go there. I can handle that situation. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe not when you're having a bad day. Or what activities are you involved in that slowly, just slowly pull you away from Christ? Look, I have friends that aren't Christians, and I do not beat them down with the gospel every day of my life. But one thing I need to be acutely aware of is when I'm interacting with these Christians, I have a testimony, and they need to see it every day. And B, I need to make sure that whatever we're doing, talking about, involved in, that they're not slowly pulling me away from Christ. Because if they are, I need to have a bowel movement. And that's uncomfortable. It's unfortunate. But it's unfortunately what we are required to do. So as I think about this cleanse, and, and look, I, you know, I know this is a big craze in America today. There's uh, these cleanses you go on, and, and then there's these detoxes you do. 
I, I don't really know what the difference between a cleanse and a detox is. Apparently, people who go on it know very well what the difference is. I'm going to use it a little bit interchangeably. All I know is that detoxes are a little harder. It requires your natural body to do stuff. And so I'm going to talk about how we as a church and as individuals need to do a spiritual cleanse and detox ourselves. I believe there are four ways. I'm going to go through them very, very quickly. The scripture teaches us. Where did I find these four ways? When you need wisdom, when you need wisdom, when you don't have answers and you need wisdom, don't turn to Google. I know, it's so hard not to. It's like, what, what is what I got to say today? It's so hard not to. Yeah, I asked the Lord for sure. He's going to speak to you, and if you can't hear him because you're so distracted with today's world, open the Bible. You want to know where to open? Open up to Psalms. Just open the Psalms. Just read. Usually the books aren't longer than 20 lines, 30 lines. Some are short, like six, seven, eight lines. Read just a couple words. It's the best devotion you will ever open. There's wisdom all throughout the Psalms. And I want to share with you some of these detox methods that are in the book of Psalms. The first one is to detox your actions. Your actions are your first response anyway. When something happens in the world and you are exposed to it, you're going to respond some way. You're going to have some type of action. What are your actions today? How do you respond in the world with your non-Christian friends and your non-Christian work environments? How do you respond? How do your actions speak for your testimony? The Bible's pretty clear. Look at this. It says, turn from evil and do good. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Our actions are what our colleagues, our friends, our family members, it's what they see. And if there is sin in your action, in your response, if, if your actions are visceral and motivated in anger or hate or jealousy or manipulation, that is not doing good. That is evil. It's so clear. Turn from evil and do good. He, he, I got I to share this. I, this I got to share this. How many times have I shared from this pulpit or I shared with somebody at the, at the altar? I said, Genesis chapter 50, verse 2, it says, what Satan means for evil, God means for good. You've heard that verse, right? You heard that verse? Wake up. You heard that verse? You heard that verse. Okay. Well, now you hear this verse in book of Psalms. It doesn't just say, oh, God's going to turn it around for good. It says, it says what Satan means for evil, God intends for good. Well, how does the good come about? It says right here, turn from evil and do good. We have a role. We have a role. Our actions God wants to use to turn evil into good. God wants to use you to avoid evil and turn it into good. You have a choice every day to do evil or do good. What are you doing? And when evil's in front of you, when evil's around you, when temptation is there, you make the choice. Do I do it or do I not? And when you do it, you walk into the walking dead like a zombie, hurting people, hiding out in dark places, and moaning and roaming like, like meaningless. But when you choose to do good, it becomes difficult. Life is hard. you got to run away from the zombies or they'll come get you even. And I tell you what, God can use that for his good. And here's what else it says. Look, i gotta, I got to throw this one on you. I know there's some political people in the room, and, and we always talk about world peace and praying for peace, and, and Jesus is the peace. But this is what it says. It's pretty clear. Turn from evil, do good, and seek peace and pursue it. 
Where do we get this idea that peace comes free? Where do we get this idea that peace doesn't require energy and effort? Peace requires effort. It is, in fact, hard work. If you want peace, you need to pursue it. You need to turn from evil, and you need to do good, the Bible says. In fact, it says, if you want peace, you cannot be argumentative. You can't be contentious. Those are actions. You're creating evil. You're creating chaos. Peaceful relationships come from peacemaking. Amen. Think about your own kids. Go home, argue with them, and you guys are going to argue all day, all night long. You enter into those conversations with peace, and out of it, you'll get peace. My kids are fighting all night about who gets what room when we move. All night. We got into the conversation. We started fighting. At the kitchen table, I was like, oh, my goodness. The house is turning into a curse. So here's what we're going to do. We're the A, going to not move. Or B, you three, you're going to walk outside, take a deep breath, and you're going to work it out in a peaceful way. They worked out. Stayed out there all night. Came down this morning. Dad, we got a plan on the way to church. They laid out their 10-point plan. Amen. The next detox is we need to detox our eyes. This one we know. This one we know. We often think, well, we're talking about the men. The men need to keep their eyes to themselves. Stop looking at sexual temptation. Stop looking at the TV, the movies, the people that go all around. Yeah, that's a part of it, sure, certainly. Well, men, women, humans, whether it's sexual temptation or whether it's materialism, I can't help but look at that. I need something new. I want something new. Or competition or whatever it is that we have our eyes on. Here's what I think is interesting about this verse here I'm going to pull out. It's Psalms 119, verse 37. The Bible says this, to turn my eyes from worthless things. It calls all those things, temptation, sin, entertainment, all those things that cross, they're all worthless things. And it's almost, wow, look at this. It's almost like a prayer. It is a prayer. David is saying, God, please help me turn my eyes from the worthless things in this world. What if we woke up in the morning and we said that? Imagine if we got a hold of this that we would get life through your word. When I looked at that, I said, through your word, what does that mean, through your word? I didn't quite understand that. And so I'm like, is there more words in this psalm I have to read? I went back and I looked at the original Hebrew and, and the word there is also translated in other versions. The word means the path or the direction. And since God's word is a path, that's why they translate it this way. God's words, his, his path, his direction, his guidance, his way who do you know in the Bible who's called the way, who's called the path, who's called the word? This is Jesus. We need to look to Jesus when our eyes are looking at these worthless things. We need to think to ourselves, golly, I got to turn my eyes on something else. It says, and give life and that more abundantly. It starts with our eyes, church, in Psalms 119. I have another one for you. This one's hard for me. We need to detox our words. See, I have a lot of words. I'm a pastor. I talk a lot. My job, I talk a lot. A lot of words that come out of my mouth, sometimes really fast. The Bible is full of words, powerful words. Words like Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, Emmanuel, Jesus, Messiah. Plenty of powerful words. You know, the Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. We speak with our mouth life. Not just about other people, but about ourselves, church. One of my favorite messages I have ever done here at Kingsway, 
Thank you for giving me the opportunity to deliver it. Was the message about the great I am. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the great I am. Every time you hear God's name, you think of the great I am. And yet every day we say those words, I am, I am, I am. You are using God's name in vain when you follow that I am up with anything negative. I am stupid. I can't, I am awful. I am this, I am that. Or you talk to your children. You are this, you are that, you are this. Those are very negative things that God says you cannot do. We need to use our words to bring life and that more abundantly. Words can build or break, create or decimate, love or hate. Choose your words wisely or you'll find yourself as a walking dead. The last one I have here, and I can't move on. Oh, I didn't share the verse yet. Let me share the verse. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. Psalm 19. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. When I read this, when I read this, it occurred to me, God is paying attention to our words. How would you change today if you knew that every word God examined this is another prayer. It's as if David is asking to approve my words, Lord, so they be pleasing to you as an offering. This morning when I gave the offering prayer, I actually included it. Don't just, Lord, we don't just offer to you our thoughts. I want to offer to you our words. I want to offer to you our words. Offer to you our words, Lord. Our words are a very quick way that we can turn a Christian into a sinner, Amen. Allow God to guide us in what we say and what we think. Words flow. You see, in the previous verse that I just shared, we talked about eyes. And now this one, we're talking about words. And the words flow from the heart. It says, and meditations of my heart. So what do you think the last thing we need to detox is? Your heart. Your heart. It's the one thing God is the most concerned with. We use words like spirit and soul. You often wonder to yourself, what do those words mean? What's a soul? What's a spirit? Those words don't register all the time. What if I change the words to something you use every day? What if we talked about your mind and your heart? Now, you know what those mean, don't you? You know it goes through your mind. You know where your consciousness is. And you know where the seat of all your feelings are in your heart. And it is our heart that he is concerned with. To be a living church, we must fight the Lord's battle. Amen? But let me ask you this question. As a church trying to strive to be living, how can we fight the Lord's battle when we neglect our own battle? in our heart. Each one of you comes in this morning with something going on up in here. Some question that's unanswered. Some anxiety that's overwhelming. Some fear. What's to happen? The unknown. Some pain from the past. Maybe. Every one of you comes with something. We cannot 
be a living church if all of us come in here dead in here because we've lost the battle. What does the Bible say about this? The Bible says in Psalms 26 verse 2, test me, Lord. Try me, Lord. Examine my heart. What, what do you mean, Pastor Sean? He's not just going to reach in there and give me a new heart. He's going to take my heart of stone and he's going to replace it with a heart of flesh. I've prayed those prayers. I've heard those prayers. The Bible says this. Test me, Lord. Examine me, Lord. When you do an examination, he looks for all the wrong. And he tells you. You see, when we examine ourselves, we are biased. We are partial. I'm great. I'm good. I can handle this. Life's great. When we bow before God the Father and we ask Him to examine us, He is impartial. He looks at you like He looks at every human being who's ever walked on this planet. And when you ask Him to examine your heart, that's exactly what He'll do. And when He examines your heart, do you think, because some of you do, that His intentions are to point out your sin and tell you how evil you are? That is not the God we've just read about. The God we just read about says, I will find sin in you. I will point it out to you and then you will confess it to me. And then I will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Why must it be that way? Because we must go through a bowel movement. It has to get in us and it has to get out of us. And God wants to be a part of that. And when we humbly confess our sins, confess our waste, even if it's not blatant sin, he can do miracles. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.